From Orange County, California, you are listening to Taking Flight with Captain Michael Rocket Blackstone. That almost sounds like a fake name. Maybe Marvel's next superhero? Might want to check into that. This is a different type of aviation podcast that is not hosted by a tech geek know-it-all or communist sympathizing wacko, no. Lucky for you, I am your host. With over 30 years and 30,000 hours of flying high-performance aircraft all over the world, 21 years at a major airline, and with over 25 years in the extremely challenging flying business, I hope to become your personal coach to get you started in your career in aviation as a pilot and to help you identify and survive this industry's many pitfalls and booby traps along the way. This podcast is my personal commitment to helping you succeed in making your dreams of flying for a living or as a hobby come true. We're trying to avoid that happening to your career because that's got to hurt. Welcome back. You are listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. We are on episode nine today and uh, we're feeling pretty good. You know, I've, I've been really enjoying doing these these podcasts. I've been re- enjoying seeing the, the listenership. I really appreciate you all joining me while we uh, take you on all these airplane rides and talking about airplanes. I appreciate the, the support. Uh, I'm noticing that a lot of people really enjoyed the Beach 18 journey across the country and uh, took me back down memory lane this evening. I was talking with a friend and telling him about the Waco YMF5C model that we have, and it's a 1996 aircraft. I recently took a trip uh, halfway across the country this time um, to a place north of Dallas-Fort Worth in the McKinney area. I believe the name of the the uh, McKinney or, or Sherman. Actually, I think it's Sherman, uh, SWI. But I took this trip not too long ago with a friend of mine's son, and his name is Danny. And uh, Danny is learning to become a uh, an airline pilot. He's actually pushing his way towards the same routing that I did. He has a dad who flew airplanes and still flies airplanes, cool ones, uh, big ones, small ones, warbirds. He's a is an interesting character. His name is Matt, and his son Danny uh, and I had a chance to fly the Waco out to uh, Dallas to uh, to his place out there in the north of Dallas area. So I'm going to walk you through that trip. Uh, with Danny, we had him fly out from Dallas to uh, Orange County Airport. Uh, picked up, picked him up, and he spent the night at my house. And because uh, we were going to leave early the next day, so we got our our gear together, we got our flight plan together, we got the plane fueled up uh, the day before, and it pulled it out. Had it all ready to go from Orange County, so we could leave before dawn uh, that next day. So. Uh, we got to the airport at Orange County Airport around 4, 4.30, I believe, and loaded up, drained some gas, did our walk around, pulled the prop through, and fired up the the Jacobs uh, R755 motor that's on the front of that thing, and she fired right up. We warmed it up, taxied out, lights on, because it was dark, and the airport was actually closed. So... Um, it, it doesn't open until uh, 6.30 or something like that. So uh, it was pre-airport uh, opening. So we operated the airport, air, 
plane out of an uncontrolled field, which is totally normal. Most of the airports in America, some 13,000 of them uh, are uncontrolled and they don't really need it. So the lights were on and we taxi out on the tower frequency, which is our common track traffic advisory frequency. And at Orange County uh, at that time of day, it would have been 20.1, I believe. So we were taxiing out and warmed up the plane uh, got on the runway. And of course, this morning, this particular morning was not only dark, but it was overcast. So what we were going to need to do then is to pick up what we call an IFR clearance to to be able to climb through the clouds, IFR and uh, instrument flight rules, and circle back around and then proceed VFR once we get above the clouds. Now, the WACO, you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, we're doing this in a WACO biplane. Yes, the WACO biplanes are nearly all of them, as far as I know, are certified IFR and they come with all the the, the gauges and the, and the instrumentation that they need and the navigation that they need to fly IFR, which is totally cool. For, for those of you who know about biplanes, being in an in instrument capable instrument conditions with the canopy off and flying open cockpit is a is an amazing experience. So this was Danny's first time flying in the open cockpit biplane IFR, and I did the uh, the takeoff and turned uh, basically off of two zero right out of Orange County, and uh, uh, actually uh, taking off out of two zero right at the frequency wrong. I think actually it was nineteen nine. Uh, that time of day. Anyway, uh, 26.8, yeah, maybe it's 26.8. Not sure. I can't remember now. We're taking off on 2.0 right and on 20.26.8, right hand turn out of there to the west initially towards the shore out by Huntington Pier. And, and once I got in the air, then I came up on 25.35 SoCal Approach and talked to them uh, in my nicest radio voice possible. And I asked them to pick up an IFR clearance uh, a pop-up, they call this. And I'd like to pick up IFR to VFR on top to our first stop, uh, it was, which was Gila Bend, which is Echo 63, and climbed out below the clouds for a while. I think the clouds were like 1,500 feet, so I was like at 1,000 feet waiting for clearance, which they, they there was nothing going on that morning. They gave me a squat code, which I don't remember what it was now. Call it 0222. That's sometimes what they give us uh, out of Orange County, triple uh, two. And... Uh, cleared me to climb to 5,000 feet on a heading of initially west and then to the northeast and allowed us time to maneuver up to the northeast to get some altitude so we can head due east, which on my flight plan showing about a 79 or 80 degree magnetic heading to the east to our first point, which is going to be Outrods Blythe was our first point. We had to go around some restricted areas. So anyway, we're climbing up and heading northeast, getting some altitude. Once we got above about, oh, 3,000 feet, we can proceed VFR. We told them, yeah, we're VFR. We'd like to proceed on course. Then I put, uh, we put uh, KBLH into my GPS and starting heading to the east and continued a nice long, slow climb. Now the WACO can carry... 24 gallons in each inboard tank, so that's 48, and then it's got 48 and uh, two 12s, so it's got, uh, what's that going to be, uh, six, 72 gallons of gas on board, so we were, we were maxed out on the gas, and we were going to be able to fly for, let's see, 72 gallons divided by 14 is uh, five. 
2.1 hours. So the, the airplane's carrying approximately five hours and, and uh, six minutes worth of gas on board. We're not going to be pushing it anywhere near the five-hour range. So our first stop is going to be at Gila Bend, just 3.3 hours to the east. And, you know, you don't want to fly to the max on, on, on any airplane, really, unless you have to and if you need to. Well, as you fly this type of airplane at our average ground speed, along this journey was 87 knots. So we're doing about 100 miles an hour. And we're going to do this this trip uh, as long as the weather is good. We're going to keep going until we, till we get there. So we're looking ahead at a, a 10, well, really a 12 and a half hour of flight time kind of day. So we're stretching out the legs, but not too much. I want Danny to get a chance to get a few more landings in. So we are on our way across uh, basically Riverside, past Lake El- Elsinore, and we climbed right right over the low, lowest point of uh, Saddleback Mountain out to the east of Orange County Airport, SNA. And we proceeded south of, of uh, March Air Force Base there. And now that we're on a, on a flight following flight plan, we are just doing radio handoffs. So near March Air Force Base, you probably switched over to uh, 133.5 maybe, and as we headed east... You know, the terrain is, is pretty constant. So we probably went up to around 8,500 feet as we were heading eastbound and, and past Palm Springs. Uh, looks like we popped up over uh, to the right of San Jacinto, which is the highest point near Palm Springs. That's a pretty tall mountain at, at nearly 11,000 feet at 10,800. So now we're, we're southeast of Palm Springs. We're going to go over uh, Thermal Airport, essentially, at about 9,500 feet. Now, when you're heading to the east, you're going to fly on the odd thousands plus 500. So an eastbound aircraft will be at 55, 75, 95, 11.5, 11,500 or 9,500. So, so we fly on the, the odd thousands as we go to the east and planes are supposed to fly VFR on the even thousands at 45, 65, 85, and 10, 5, and so on, so that anybody going the opposite direction will be on a different altitude than you, and that's the, the main purpose. But uh, we were flying eastbound, 9,500 feet, trucking across past, we could see the Salton Sea out there off of our right, and we're up pretty high, Le- mixtures lean back a little ways, props back a little bit. So this airplane actually has a constant speed prop on this Waco, which is makes it great for cross-country trips as well as aerobatics. It allows us to pull the propeller RPM back off of the max into a more cruise setting. It does a little better fuel economy that way. It's a little quieter, and we uh, were able to lean the mixture a little bit at altitude and save some fuel. We're probably somewhere in the 14 gallons an hour, maybe maybe a little more for running wide open to uh, to cool the engine with fuel. And if we pull the power back a little bit too, we can actually save a little fuel and, and squeeze off a little bit of manifold pressure, maybe a couple inches to get it away from the really rich side. When you run wide open on a radial engine, the airplane actually has like a super rich feature. So it's going to get even more fuel than it would normally get during the takeoff roll for additional cooling, additional power, and to, for additional safety margins. So when you're cruising, it's not really great in the radial to be throttle pegged out wide open. We tend to fly it back a little ways to get it out of that super rich range and a little more fuel economy as well. So a couple inches back usually helps. And in this airplane, the RPM max RPM on it, I believe is 
uh, 2200. And I'd probably fly this airplane at cruise in the 2000 range, maybe a little, little lower, like 1950. And it gets the prop back a little bit, make it a little quieter, a little more fuel efficient. As we're chugging along, we're trying to get some good range out of this thing. So, so we're heading east. We go over Blythe, kind of nice and high. Off our right-hand side, as we cross the Colorado River, this is kind of the area uh, where we switch into, right at the Colorado River is where you switch from California to Arizona. And on our right-hand side, there's several restricted areas uh, R2306B and R2308A, they're restricted. And you can't go through there, even when you're talking to, to a flight, uh, uh, air traffic controller. So we stayed north of those. That's one of the reasons why I went over Blythe and bent uh, now around the corner, 94105 on the heading. And once we cleared the, the restricted areas, now we can go direct to Gila Bend, which is Echo 63. This entire leg of this journey, uh, of this portion of the journey was, uh, let me pull back up the flight plan here. Uh, looks like 265 nautical miles, not too far, kind of a nice, easy first leg. Wanted to get, get our, get our legs stretched out and get some gas there. So we, uh, we're also, as we, as we flight plan this trip, we're thinking about two things in the biplane. One is of course, fuel. And two is, uh, the terrain. And we want to stay to the south. When you fly a plane like this, what we're thinking about doing is, is getting along Highway 10 and staying along the lower portion of this country, the, the southern southern tier, and allowing us to stay over lower terrain. And also uh, gives us a landing uh, option along the way as well. I'm seeing as we get over Gila Bend, off our right-hand side is Highway 8. Uh, that's an east-west runway, or runway, east-west road that could be used as a runway in the event of an emergency. We could swing down there and land. If we had an engine failure or something, we could certainly land there. Now, this Waco has a brand new engine. We just overhauled it last year and changed out the engine. So it has a engine from a place called uh, Radial Engines uh, Air Repair. With uh, they they repair radial engines and overhaul them. Air Repair with Pete Jones in Mississippi. And uh, he does an amazing job on the engines. He, it's the engines that he does are uh, are bulletproof. This thing's going to go fourteen hundred hours now. So so we're over uh, over Highway Eight as a as a possible landing site if we needed it. We've got it. Gila Bend. If you're not sure where that is, it's in Arizona. It's about forty five miles nautical miles southwest of Phoenix. So if you're looking on a chart, you'll be able to find that. Landed at Gila Bend uneventfully. Uh, the field elevation there, not too high. It says uh, 700, let's see, 789 feet. Yeah, it's, you know, it's less than 1,000 feet there. And it's pretty pretty early in the morning by the time we get here. It's it's only been three hours. And uh, that first lake, three hours, 0.3, 18 minutes. Three hours and 18 minutes from Orange County to Gila Bend. Landed there, topped up the tanks, drained a little fuel, checked the oil, uh, use the, the the facilities there. If you know pilots, uh, you know you never want to be caught in the airplane uh, for too long and 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 have to use the restroom. There are ways around it when you're flying single engine airplanes like this. There's uh, piddle packs, they call them. There's the ever uh, the ever favorite Gatorade bottle if you're 
desperate and you need need to use the restroom and you're in the, in an airplane, the Gatorade bottle with the screw on cap is an emergency way to do it. And and the worst case scenario and uh, my least favorite of the choices is the uh, the six sack. If you have to, it's uh, doable but not optimal. Anyway, so we try to avoid that. So every time you land, get gas, use the lav. It's a great great habit to be in. Uh, then we're going to take off out of Gila Bend uneventfully throttle wide open. I'm talking Danny through these, getting him uh, to learn how to, how to fly a walk with the big heavy tail draggers are a little bit of, of a beast. And when you fly a Waco for the first time, the first thing you'll, you'll say to yourself is how do you see out of this thing? You know, you're as, as the, the PIC, the PIC rides in the back for starters. So that's kind of odd. You see all the airplanes that you've seen and maybe some, some of the movies, the P 51 Mustang, for example, the, the pilot in command of a fighter plane rides in the front seat. The very first uh, uh, Newport and the the Spad and the early biplanes, it was a single seat, and they they rode in what appeared to be the front seat, right? Well, then when you add a, a customer or a passenger or uh, uh, you're making a training airplane, for whatever reason, we're not sure exactly why, but they put the PIC in the back seat. And uh, I like the back seat. Now I can see pretty much the same. I can look over the side. I like to sit behind the wing versus under it so I can see straight up uh, and straight down. I'm sitting far enough behind the the wings so that I can see straight down and the, and the, the lower wing doesn't block my view. So, so that's probably the reason. It's a better view. And also it, it puts the center of gravity, if you're flying the plane solo, a little bit farther aft. And in aerobatic airplanes like the pits, an aft CG makes the airplane slightly less stable and slightly more, maybe significantly more unstable and therefore a better maneuvering airplane. It'll be a better aerobatic airplane by having a slightly aft or, or fairly aft center of gravity. So so that was probably the main reason. But the the cool part about a Waco when you're flying with passengers is you could put people up front and they feel like they're sitting in the in the pilot seat. They feel like they're in the in the the driver's seat. And when they have the stick up there, they can certainly fly the airplane. But to be legal and to fly it solo, you do have to fly the Waco and the pits and uh, various other tail draggers um, from the back seat. That's where the key is to start it, and that's where the mixture is, and that's where where all of the radios are. So uh, I digress there. Uh, off script there. So, so we landed at Gila Bend and now I've got Danny, Danny taken off out of there. I let him do the landing at, at all these places. He's, he's a tailwheel pilot. He's, uh, he's got some time in a Stearman. He's got some time in a Satabria. He's got some time or a decathlon, I think it was. Uh, and he's a great pilot. So I'm talking Danny through how to fly the Waco. It's a little different than the Stearman. It's a little bit, um, a little bit more, more, more well-behaved than the, than the Stearman is from what I understand. So I never really flew the Stearman. So, um, the Stearman stands up really tall. The Waco squats down a little bit, nice wide wheelbase, a little lower center of gravity. It sits a little lower. It's better behaved. It handles nicer from what I, from what the pilots tell me that have flown the Stearman and flown them both. Um, the Waco is still a beast though. It's big, it's heavy. It, um, it, it takes a lot to get it to do what you want it to do sometimes, even on the ground, uh, a lot more force than the pits, for example. So what you need to do is, as you're pushing the power up on this thing, I always like to think of the throttle on a radial engine airplane as a 
like I'm pushing the throttle like like I'm pushing a plate of cookies to my grandmother. Slow, smooth, and easy. I don't want to startle her. I don't want her to freak out. I don't don't want to move things too fast. It's not, it's not a, a, a snail's pace, but it's slow, smooth, and easy on the throttle. So you can give this engine a chance to get the fuel, the air, and get it moving. There's a lot of moving parts up there. You want to get everything moving so you don't sling the whip to this thing and maybe maybe over torque something or maybe bend something. So smooth and easy. It'll probably tolerate it. But one thing you'll do, you'll notice if you really jockey the throttle on these airplanes with this giant carburetor is it can get a big gulp of air or a little too much fuel and it'll, it, it, it'll stutter. It'll backfire a little bit. So smooth and easy, get a nice smooth spool up, make sure the mixture is full rich, of course, and uh, the thr- throttle and the RPM handle, the, the, uh, the prop governor handles all the way forward too. So smooth and easy, everything forward. And this thing's going to start to accelerate. And on a warm day, at max gross weight, we're flying this thing with 72 gallons of gas on board. You're going to notice it's it's sluggish. It's going to take a little while to get it going. 275 horsepower on an airplane this size is uh, significantly more than a steering wheel, which has 200, uh, I believe, 25. So it's got more power, which so accelerates a little bit better, but it's still a big, heavy airplane. So let her, let her accelerate. And then as she gets... Uh, a little bit more, more. Once you start indicating airspeed, you can push forward on the stick now and come out of that three-point attitude uh, with the stick all the way back in your lap, which is where we taxi with. Bring the stick neutral, slight forward pressure, raise the tail, and let it accelerate a little bit more. There now you're heavy. You're you're at a higher altitude than where you took off at, at uh, Orange County, and once she gets to about. 60, 65, a little bit of back pressure on the stick and lower the tail slightly and it will fly off beautifully, nice and flat. Once it gets airborne, I might relax some of the pressure, let it accelerate some more. And once it gets to 80, nice and smooth, gentle on the climb. Climbs at 80, it's a nice nice rate of climb. Uh, at this altitude and at this weight, you might get 800 feet a minute, two people on board in full gas. Empty, I could probably get about 1,000 feet per minute with a nice normal fuel load of maybe 15 gallons of gas in each side. So uh, that's what you can expect from it. Beautiful flying airplane. This thing handles like a dream. It's got four ailerons, top and bottom, nice light aileron feel. And it is aerobatic also. So if you if you ever wanted to, if you have your parachutes on, if you ever wanted to and you had the inclination, learn how to do aerobatics. The Waco does do nice aerobatics. I call it gentleman aerobatics. Um, smooth, big, beautiful loops, uh, not round, kind of a more of a cursive L type loop. And the, the rolls are, are kind of barrelish, slow and kind of sluggish. It, it's not a fast rolling airplane. It's what you would expect to see in an airplane from the thirties. Now this airplane's a 1996 model, which means it was made and built by the factory in Battle Creek, Michigan in 1996. But it represents, and it's from the designs of a 1935 Waco, and that gives you 1935 performance. So um, it was mostly designed to be a a sport cruiser uh, kind of an airplane, not necessarily a trainer, although it can be a decent tailwheel trainer. It's purchase price, I believe now is a brand new one, is nearly $500,000. Uh, this one, when I bought it in... 2006 was 200 and like $50,000. So I got a great airplane, looks just like the brand new ones, 
but the used market get, allows you to get in a little bit lower price. So it's still an expensive airplane. I get it. Um, and right now, uh, I could probably still get 200, maybe 30,000 for it. So that's where they're at right now. So we're heading east. Danny's on the controls. I'm talking him through it. And we're climbing out again as we head southeast. This time I put in the GPS from E63. We're going to put KDMN or uh, Delta Mike November. We're heading our, heading over towards uh, Deming, New Mexico. And it's going to be approximately... Wow, this, one, this one's going to be a long one. Uh, uh, to Deming... Is it's just 200, uh, 255. That's not too bad. 255 nautical miles from Gila Bend, southeast bound on an 88 heading, roughly more or less east, and uh, climbing up. I see a 9,200. Then we're going to pass a really cool peak at 11.1 there on our left side. It looks like uh, I see that in the on the chart there. It's actually 10.7. So the sector altitude there says 11.1. We're gonna we're gonna pass just to the south of these. Uh, what do they call them? Let me tell you what the mountain range is, so you can look it up if you want to see it. The uh, Pinalino, P-I-N-A-L-I-L. I'm sorry, P-I-N-A-L-E-N-O, Pinalino Mountains. Beautiful mountain ridge there, and we're south of Safford Regional SAD. That's where I landed the. Uh, that's where I landed the Waco on that previous trip in the, in, I'm sorry, in the beach. That's where we landed the beach. So we're heading southeast and heading out towards Deming, New Mexico. Beautiful, just a beautiful day. I mean, it, we had hardly a cloud in the sky through here. Nice light winds. It was a nice smooth ride. Uh, checking the, the, the fuel prices and the range and seeing how things are going, seeing whether we need to maybe land at Lordsburg and, and we didn't. Seeing if we can maybe extend out and fly to the next airport. Las Cruces is out there. But I think I, we liked the fuel price better at Deming. And because we were going to go southeast from there, because there's a restricted area just east of Deming, we opted for Deming, but we didn't quite feel comfortable enough uh, to go south of the restricted area over uh, El Paso and then and then continue. So, so we went to Deming and got gas. So we descended in and... Now we're at a higher altitude, 4,300 feet. It's getting hot now. So now we're landing in the middle of the day. It's, it's, it's hot. It's, it's, a, it's a toasty afternoon in the summer uh, at Deming. And I talked uh, Danny through the landing there at a high altitude landing, carry a little extra speed. There won't be much left. And he did a nice landing in Deming. Rolling out, talking him through the gentle braking. When you fly the Waco, the brakes are really, really sensitive. For a big, big, which you'd think to be an old airplane, you're going to find the brakes on this thing are are like new. They're like modern day power braking. And it'd be really easy to get on the brakes. One of the worst things that could happen to a biplane is, I don't know if you've ever seen this happen, is uh, landing this airplane and getting on the brakes too soon or too heavy and on a tail dragger all the weight of this airplane a lot of the weight in this airplane is on the is in the nose so getting on the brakes could could cause the thing to start to pitch over and you could easily put it up on its nose not good right so 
when we touch down in the Waco, you're coming in for a landing. Let's say you're going to land uh, to the west, and the wind is from the south, so you got a little bit of a of a left crosswind. You put a little left aileron in, a little bit of right pedal. You start cross controlling a plane like this, left stick, right pedal. That starts to get the airplane into a higher descent rate. So what do we do? Crack the throttle a little bit more up. So push a little more power as you start a little bit of a cross control for the for the slip or this this cross control condition to stop any higher descent rate. Get the plane under control as as you got the the the, the sink rate under control. 100 miles an hour on final is fine. Roll the speed back to 80 over the fence. Close the throttle now. Set the deck angle. Hold it off. Hold it off. A little back pressure touch more back pressure. She starts to settle, touch more back pressure. And what I like to do in the Waco is with a little extra speed, it allows me to do a wheel landing. If there's any wind at all, and the stronger the wind, the more I'm into this, is to to carry a little extra speed, hold it off, close the throttle slowly, round out, and have a slightly tail low attitude as I grab the, the upwind wheel. So if the wind was from the left, I'll have a little left aileron and I'll catch the left wheel first, roll forward slightly as I touch the left wheel, keep holding that left aileron, slight forward pressure, relax some of the aileron to put the right main down and then gently start to roll, uh, bring the stick back slowly as the airplane is decelerating. Uh, I bring the stick back slightly and wait is really my technique. So neutral stick. What I'm waiting for is for the tail to start to sag and start to fly down on its own. That's letting me know that the wing and the speed are now slow enough to where if I start to ease the stick back, it won't fly again. It won't come off the runway and get me all three wheels back in the air and then plop back on for a hard screwball landing. So that's my technique. Grab the upwind wheel, roll forward on the stick, little pressure to hold the wheel on the ground, little right aileron in this case to get the downwind wheel, and then wait, wait for the tail sag, then start to, to bring the stick back. Now, I was teaching uh, Danny this as we headed across the country uh, in the Waco together over the summer. So that was fun. Uh, once we left Deming, take off out of there, big climbing uh, climbing turn out to the southeast. His, his takeoffs were getting pretty good at this point. I didn't have to say anything. Nice and smooth and easy. He's rolling the power up. He's raising the tail. He's holding the deck angle. He's flying it off. It's looking good. Heading southeast. And uh, the reason why we went over El Paso, there's a giant, giant restricted area north of El Paso, uh, north of Newman area. And once we get kind of past uh, El Paso, the, the, the metropolitan area there, straight east again, 082 on the heading for 162 nautical miles more. And we are heading out over some some terrain. I think you'd see, you'd be kind of surprised. We're, we're heading, when you, when you go past El Paso, you are leaving some pretty high terrain here to the north. You know, there's some nine, you know, 8,500 foot stuff. And then you, you're motoring along and then you end up near the Guadalupe uh, Mountains National Park and there's an 8,700 foot cliff right there. Awesome. And you're in, you're in, you're in Texas, you're in West Texas, and you're thinking, I thought Texas was flat. And uh, it is, but uh, 
not till you get past this area. So, so you're, you're, you're still in Texas, you're heading east and there's this, this, uh, Guadalupe mountains. It's pretty awesome to see. You might want to check that out. It's on uh, left side. It's just Northeast of salt flat, which is S F L V O R five or maybe 10 miles Northeast of salt flat heading east motoring past a little bit more, uh, rolling hills and then once you get into the Winkler area where that's that's uh that's where we're gonna land next. So we take off out of Deming. Oh uh, that leg between between Gila Bend and Deming was two point eight hours. Now from Deming to Winkler, uh it's K I N K two and a half hours and we landed in Winkler for gas. What a cool little spot. So at Winkler Good price on gas. We got out there. Great service. I, I believe the kid, the kid there. I think their family owns this thing. He comes out in his overalls and uh, and helps us fuel the airplane. He, he goes in and grabs us a quart of oil. I think we added a quart of oil here as well. Took one for the road and topped the plane up. Used the facilities again and headed northeast. Uh, another. It's 2,800 feet high, another nor- northeast departure. So we took off out of there. I don't remember which runway it was. Uh, Danny did a nice job climbing out and started heading east. We're on the final run. We're heading now northeast on a heading of 064, and I see Midland. So if you're not familiar with where Winkler is, it's about 55 nautical miles southwest of Midland, Texas. And in order to go over the top of Midland... You either got to be talking to the controller, which we have Midland Approach uh, on 24-6, or we got to get above 6,900 feet. And um, I'm pretty sure we were talking to Approach, and we we might most likely were above 6,900 feet. And if we weren't, we just were cleared to cross through there. We're in Texas. A lot of oil wells, uh, oil oil activity here. You'll, you'll see all the oil rigs, and um, I'm even seeing some some windmills southeast of Big Spring. More windmills along the way, kind of by Sweetwater. And northeast, past uh, Abilene. There's DYS. It's uh, Air Force Base there. And now it's starting to get into the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex here. Uh, we're 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 kind of heading in a northeasterly heading, and along the way, I remember we we flew past a really cool lake, and it had a funny name. And uh, I'm thinking about what it might be, searching for it, but it was. Uh, a really fun place to just to look down and look at the houses on the lake. So we dropped down lower and cruised in. We were now we knew we were within range of, of our landing spot, and it was getting it, it was getting pretty much dark. It was sunset. Saw some boats out on the water, and we could see see people down in the water. They were they were smiling, waving at us. We were about a thousand feet up, and kind of rocked the wings, wave at people on the biplane. They could see us. We could see them. That was pretty cool. Uh, who doesn't like to see a biplane at sunset fly past their their lakefront homes? Uh, you know, it, at a 
no, I think we were out at 800 feet or so. It was beautiful offshore and we stayed away from the homes and we climbed back up to a thousand. We just checked it out and just really, really enjoyed maneuvering the airplane into sunset. Still had another half hour to go. This this leg between, between Wink and uh, SWI, 3.9 hours. That was our longest leg. We were pushing it out at that point. We knew we had another hour of gas on board. We had checked our fuel burns at each of the three prior uh, stops, confirming our, our, our time of our, of, our, of our burn. When you fly these kind of planes, the WACO doesn't have a real fuel totalizer. A few, oh, wait, so when I'm, I'm burning gas, you don't see the 72 gallons become 71 and the 71 becomes 70. What you eventually see after several hours of flying with the plane topped off, two hours or so, is the these floats, these little wafers start to drop down into the visual range of the fuel gauge, which is a clear tube on each side. And with the four tanks of gas, what you have is the 24-gallon inboard, and then it's connected straight out to a 12-gallon auxiliary tank outboard in the long-range version of the airplane, which is what this one is. So so we have this, this large fuel tank on one side and a large one on the other side, and we're burning them both simultaneously. So with both fuel selectors in the on position, I have a T-handle on the left and a T-handle on the right, both forward all the time. So I'm feeding, feel, uh, fueling or feeding the engine from both tanks simultaneously. Well, as you go along, as luck would have it, one side may be burning slightly more than the other, and you'll see a slight imbalance. So let's say the right one is burning a little less than the left, the left side will be showing a little lower on the wafer than the right. So what do I do? Do I live with that the whole way or or can I do something? Well, I can reach over to the left side and pull the T-handle and actually close that side off and burn only from the right until it catches up again and then put the left handle back in. And that's how you can balance the, the airplane's weight and that's how you can, uh, if you get a slight imbalance, that's how you, you do it. Well, how do you know how much fuel is remaining in the tank if all you have is this wafer that's going down into the into the clear tube and that's where your stopwatch comes in remember we talked about that in a prior episode as to one of the things my dad taught me always hack your stopwatch especially in a plane that doesn't have a reliable fuel uh gauge that you can really rely on and even if you can you still should use the watch as a backup so so we hack the clock we're measuring that 14 gallons per hour or if you want to be conservative, call it 15 gallons an hour. And then after 3.9 hours, how many gallons did we burn, right? So let's go 3.9 times 14 is 54.6 gallons, call it 55, right? So we got 72 minus 55. We got 17 gallons remaining when we land. And that's over an hour. So we're cool. And we're going to land... uh, we're going to land at night. The requirement to land VFR at night is you got to have 45 minutes of gas on board. So we stretched this last leg out, and we had flown that day 12 and a half hours of flight time. Now, that's probably a little extreme for most people. And and uh, and if Danny wasn't such a diehard, hardcore aviator wanting to build time in a WACO and do it all in one day, we, we did it. To make it more pleasant, probably should break that up into two days and do six hours and then go stop somewhere cool and 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 go explore a little bit, which is fun. But for the hardcore aviators, 
he actually preferred just to get the flying and keep flying. And, uh, and with considering the fuel stops too, each time you stop, you'll lose a half an hour minimum. So what we ended up, and I think we had, we went to eat at, at, uh, at, uh, I believe it was Deming stopped in Deming and we, we, we got fuel there and we also rented, we borrowed a car. So the car we, we borrowed, you'll love this. Like when you're, when you're, when you're out on the road and you're flying in an airplane and you land somewhere, it might occur to you that if you landed somewhere, how am I going to get off the airport and, and go find some food? And in many places, I don't, I don't want to tell you that it's all 13,000, but in many places that I've landed, even in places I wasn't really planning on landing, um, I just found a spot and landed there. And then you get there and you're like, I wasn't really planning here, so I don't have any idea what's around here you can find a lot of times if if the fbo which is a fixed base operator if they're cool they'll have a, a rental a car or a crew car available for you now more more often than not it's a crew car which means it's an old beater they leave either the key in it or on the seat or or in the in the fbo it's available for you to use so you can go run out and grab some food and come back and you know if it's out of gas maybe you stop and put a gallon or two in it and leave it better than you ha- and you found it or they just have it topped up for you and it's really nice so when that's the spirit of aviation that i love when you land somewhere and there's a welcome, welcoming feel there. And they, hey, partner, where are you from? Oh, you're a long ways from home. Hey, you want to grab something to eat? Here's here's the key to the car and grab something. And uh, hey, you want anything while I'm out? I, I usually offer them. Hey, you want me to grab something for you while I'm out? Oh, no, we're good to go. But uh, thanks for asking. And when you get back, here's the code to get back in. Leave it where you found it. And thanks for stopping in to visit us. I love that. And that actually happens more often than not. And, uh, and that happened for us at Deming. So we, we get in this, um, this old beater. I, 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 I'm not even sure this thing had, had the key was, it, it didn't even need a key. I think if you took the key and put it in the ignition, you could take the key out and you could still turn the, turn the car on and off. I don't think it needed a key. I'm not sure the windows went up or down, but the air conditioning worked really good. That was surprising. The radio that didn't work. It wasn't installed. Um, Drove this thing over to a local Walmart, I believe it was. Went in and grabbed a Subway sandwich, which was, which was inside. Quick food, you know, maybe a bag of chips. I think we grabbed uh, some either Power Bars or or nuts and a couple of bottles of Gatorade and water. And back in the in the rental car or this crew car thing, start didn't need to start it up. I'm not even sure whether the thing locked. It, it's crazy. So it's a uh, did it have a license plate on it? Maybe it didn't. So anyway. Back to the airport, dropped the key off to the car that didn't need a key and uh, pressed on. So that was our, our stop. So that's how we made it through a 14-hour day with, with, with uh, plenty of water, plenty of food, and, uh, and stamina of steel flying around with, with my, I, my young flying buddy who, uh, who's just, just an awesome guy. So Anyway, so uh, that's us. And in our last leg, as we as we made the final turn home, uh, I can't find the name of that lake. It was a really funny name. If anybody could think of it or f- find it along our, our routing, Possum Kingdom. There you go. I found it. I knew it was a crazy name. Kind of along our route, just a little, little off route, actually, a little south of a place called Graham and Possum Kingdom. 
is a airport. I think it says F-35. Let me check. Yeah, F-35, Possum Kingdom. It's a flying community. So there's there's a cool airport right on the on the on this awesome lake that's it's all twisty and and create little canals. Looks like it'd be a great lake for water skiing. Beautiful. So we checked out Possum Kingdom and then pressed on our onto our destination where we made a, uh, a a nice night landing. I did the night landing. Danny hadn't done any night landings in the biplane before. So for those of you who fly biplanes, you probably notice most of them don't have any lights on them. And the Waco actually does. Since it's IFR, it's got nav lights, it's got strobe lights, it's got uh, landing lights and taxi lights. So it actually makes a really great airplane for all conditions, all contingencies. And we, we made a beautiful night landing north of Dallas there at a place called uh, Sherman, SWI. So uh, that was our journey. I hope you've enjoyed listening uh, to this epic adventure in a Waco YMF5 uh, not too long ago. This was a fairly, fairly recent trip that I took. Um, it's been it's been an awesome experience owning this airplane. It's actually for sale now. If anyone's interested in something like this, this airplane is for sale. Uh, you can contact us. You can use our email address, which is uh, uh, takingflightwithrocket at gmail.com. It's takingflightwithrocket, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Um, and if you have any questions about it, email there. If you have any questions about anything else uh, that, that I might have missed or if you want to discuss in a future episode, I'd sure love to chat with you. And as my dad would always say, keep on flying. We'll see you in the next episode.